So it was a uh, tough, hard-fought game. Went back and forth. It was one of those games that if you were a spectator, you would be on the edge of your seat the whole time. Really an exciting ball game to watch. But we came up on the losing end. It's tough when you play that hard and you don't come away with a victory. But I went to the dressing room and my kids were moping around. You could tell that they were disheartened. It's tough when you put in that much effort and you don't come away with a victory. So I asked them to stop what they were doing and just listen to me. I said, guys, do you, do you understand what a team is? And they all nodded their head, yes. And I said, do you understand that we win as a team and we lose as a team? And they all said, yes, sir. And I said, do you understand that when the ref calls you for a foul, you don't argue, you don't yell at them, you don't cuss at the referee? Do you understand that? And they said, yes, sir. And I said, good, go home and tell your parents that. (laughs) We have dynamite in our dentures, folks. And it's about time we realize that. The tongue is a very interesting organ. You know, we use it to taste food, to help us in digesting our food. We use our tongue to show our dislike for someone or something by sticking it out. We use our tongue to lick stamps or maybe an envelope. We use it to tell our friends how much we love them and then gossip about them behind their back. We use it to sing songs of praise on Sunday and tell off-color jokes on Monday. We use it to uplift a person and to tear them down. We use it to pray to God, and to slander fellow Christians. The tongue is pretty interesting, isn't it? A word can accomplish anything and everything. There are people who are sitting in this auditorium this morning who have struggled for a long time because of a negative word that was said to you. Somewhere maybe in the past or even recently, someone has told you you were ugly and you've lived like an ugly person ever since. Someone has told you that you weren't good enough and you have lived like it. But the reverse is true also. There are people sitting in this auditorium this morning who have benefited greatly from someone who said just the right thing at the right time. Someone said, I believe in you, and you believed it. Someone said, I love you. Someone encouraged you to be the best, and you have lived with confidence ever since. Yes, a word can accomplish almost anything and everything. Brimming with confidence, Peter told Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And with that same tongue, he denied Jesus three times. James said that the tongue is a fire, and we all know that fire can be used for great good. Fire can heat our homes, and it can also burn it to the ground. Yes, the tongue is an interesting organ, and every time you open your mouth... Potentially, one of two things are going to happen. Either you're going to build someone up or you're going to tear someone down. But don't take my word for it. Notice what God's word says about your words. Scripture states that your tongue is like a steering wheel that maneuvers the direction of your life. Scripture states that confessing with your mouth is a condition of salvation. Not only that, Confession is a lifestyle. It's something you do over and over again. Scripture teaches that loose lips and a mouth that runs amok breeds all sorts of trouble. 
And as we'll see in a few moments, Scripture says that our words either justify or condemn us. Make no mistake about it, your speech says something. Words matter. Every day you and I speak thousands of words, and some of those words are calculated. Some of those words have a lot of thought that are put into them before we say them. But a lot of times, the words that we speak are rather impatient. They're careless. We just spout off without really even thinking about what we're saying. Some words are meant to hurt and belittle, while some are meant to encourage and lift up. But it simply cannot be denied that words are powerful. I mean, why do you think free speech is such a prized commodity in this country? Because we know the power and the impact that words can have. Most of us, though, are like Bam Bam. Remember him from the Flintstones? We don't know our own strength. We don't take into consideration what goes along with our words and the sentiment that is behind them, the power that they come with, how gentle we need to be, how loving we need to create these words before we, we spit them out. There was once a little girl who had a really bad temper, and her mother decided to teach her a lesson and gave her a bag of nails. And she said, every time you lose your temper, I want you to go in the backyard and hammer a nail into the fence. Over the next two days, she hammered 37 nails into the fence. Over time, though, she realized that it was easier to control her temper than to hammer nails. And so eventually, she got to where she was hammering no nails into the fence. She came in so proud of herself and told her mother, Mom, I've made it. I I don't hammer any nails into the fence. I've gotten control of my temper. And her mother suggested that for every day that she doesn't lose her temper, she should go out there and pull one nail out. And so over time, she did just that. And she eventually comes into the room and tells her mother how proud she is. She said, I have removed all the nails from the fence. And her mother tells her, good job. And then takes her by the hand and leads her out to the fence. And she says, look at the fence. Those holes are going to be there permanently. You can never get rid of them. Stressing the damage that is done, even if we try to take it back, even if we want to uh, uh, take back that tweet or that Facebook post or whatever it is, it's already out there, isn't it? And the damage is already done. You have dynamite in your dentures. That little three-inch muscle has a cage around it for a reason. And it's time we, we woke up to that reality. Words are bullets that you can't get back. Once you've pulled the trigger, they are out there and the damage is done. And so therefore, as Christians, we need to make sure that our safety is always on. We must show the utmost care and concern with this loaded weapon that we have in our mouths. And we need to recognize the devastation that is caused when we lie, when we gossip, when we slander, when we're overly critical, when we're condemning and mean-spirited and insulting and whatever else. We need to know that what we're doing is damaging others. And that should bother us. That should concern us. And you know what we need to do? We need to do away with those little disclaimers that we think justifies our behavior. You know what I'm talking about. Bless their heart. You know, it's a rule in Texas. You can say whatever you want about a person as long as you follow it up with bless their heart. Or we say things like, I don't mean this the way it sounds. Well, then how do you mean it? 
Or I know I shouldn't say this, but. Well, if you know you shouldn't say it, then don't say it. Or my all-time favorite, I'm just honest. I just tell it like it is. No, you're rude, and you're insensitive, and you need to stop, right? Do away with the disclaimers. Supposedly on a wind-swept hill in an English church graveyard, there is a drab stone, and etched on it are these words. Here lies Arabella Young, who on the 21st of May, 1771, began to hold her tongue. It shouldn't take death for us to realize that we need to hold our tongue, right? You shouldn't have to wait until you're dead to actually hold your tongue. But don't take my word for it. Again, let's look at God's word. Here's Paul's word about your words. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Two things that bother me about this text. Number one, this isn't written to lost people. Did you notice that? This message isn't for people in the world who don't know any better. This is written to church people, people like you and me. Second thing that bothers me about this text is I find too much of myself in it, don't you? I'm the preacher. I should be above this. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be this way. I should be mentoring the right example to other people, and yet I find myself all through this. It is difficult to control our tongue, but that doesn't mean that it's impossible, nor does it mean that we shouldn't try. I mean, I'll give you a for instance. Just before services this morning, somebody came up to me and said, did you see Rob Forkner's shirt? I mean, what is the deal with that? And I said, shirt, did you see his shoes? Actually, I didn't say that. And by the way, it was Jake that said all those things. So you can, you can take it up with him afterwards. It's a sad reality that typically people are not driven from the church because of people outside the church. People are often driven from the church because of what people in the church have said to them or about them. Folks, there are certain things that should never happen within the church. And this is one of them. Trash talking is certainly one of them, which is why Paul is addressing this. He says, stop it. And the reason why is because we could come up with several reasons, but his reasoning doesn't occur in a vacuum here. We can read these words, but it's really good if we back up and you look at verse 1 and following. He says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, Paul says you don't do this because you should love as you have been loved. Love as you've been loved. You, you do this because you are humble and you're gentle and you're patient and you're tolerant of those around you. Because a major theme of Paul's writings was always what? We've talked about it a thousand times recently. Unity, right? He talks about it over and over again in his letters. You can't be unified if you're trash talking about each other. Verse 7, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. You don't trash talk because grace has been given to you. All of us have received a very special gift, and that gift has to be opened, and it has to be used, and it has to be passed on. 
You take what God has given you and you serve other people. And this promotes growth and it promotes unity, right? That's the goal. We're all trying to help one another get to heaven. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Another principle that Paul throws out there, think new, not old. That old sinful self is gone, including the way that you used to talk. What do you do when your clothes are stained or soiled? You take them off and you change. That's what you've done. You've changed clothes. You don't wear the clothes of a dead man. Leave those grave clothes in the grave. You've put on Christ now and you're different. You're a new person. So think like it, act like it, and talk like it. You're different now, which means that you must lay aside all falsehood. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer. But rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good. So that he will have something to share with one who has need. So why lay aside all falsehood? Why do that? Why speak truth to one another? Why be angry and do not sin? Why don't I continue to steal? Why? Because I'm not what I used to be. I was dead. Now I am alive. And being alive in Christ means that you let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. I want you to circle, underline, or highlight, or do all three to that little word but there because that little word has a huge meaning. It makes all the difference because it distinguishes between the unwholesome and the wholesome. Allow me to illustrate this with a chart that I spent way too much time on and is completely unnecessary, probably. So you have the category of unwholesome talk, which I think we all know what that consists of. And then you have the category of wholesome talk. And as you can see, it's pretty simplistic, right? But as Les McGalliard, your former preacher, used to say, don't assume the brethren know anything. And so we put this up there, right? So that we can all see it for ourselves and understand that there is a difference between wholesome talk and unwholesome talk. Words matter. But let me tell you what matters more. More than your words, the heart matters most. That but that I told you to circle or underline or highlight, it separates the old heart from the new one. It highlights the difference between someone who has an unwholesome interior and someone who has a wholesome one. It's the difference between an old self and a new self. If you want to transform your speech, then you need a heart transplant. And maybe that sounds extreme, but it should because it is. You ever heard someone say, well, God knows my heart. And most of the time that is said when they're trying to justify some bad behavior, right? I want to engage in sin, but God knows my heart. Meaning, deep down in the deep recesses of my heart, God knows I'm a pretty good person, even though I do these bad things. So it becomes an excuse for doing wrong. And the truth of the matter is, God definitely does know your heart. And your heart is where that profanity, that gossip, that slander, that malice, the lying, that's where all that comes from because you don't sin in spite of having a good heart. You sin because something's wrong with your heart. So that's where we have to begin. If you wait and start with your speech, you're already too late. 
You've got to address the real issue, and the real issue is your heart. Your heart is not better than your life. In fact, it's typically worse. We all have things tucked away in the little nooks and crannies of our hearts that no one else sees, but guess who does? He knows our greed, our lust, our envy, our pride, our anger, our bitterness. He knows all of it. So yeah, God does know your heart, and that's not an excuse. Instead of using God knowing my heart as a justification for sin, we need to look to the cross and the realization that it's only God who can create in me a clean heart, as David said. We shouldn't use the excuse that God knows my heart to make us feel better about sin. We should use it as a motivation to get on our knees and humbly repent. Because the problem with our tongues is not our tongues. We've already established that words matter, but if we only focus on the words, then it's already too late. Let's say I have a cup, and that cup is filled with water or orange juice, or in my case, it's going to be coffee or sweet tea, okay? And that cup is filled to the brim, and I'm walking around with that cup, and Larry bumps me. What's going to happen if he bumps into me with any kind of force? Well, whatever's in the cup is going to spill out, right? And the same is true with every one of you. Whatever is filling your heart, when someone bumps you, that's what's going to spill out. So if my heart is filled with unwholesome speech, anger and malice and slander and clamor and gossip and lying and all that, when someone bumps me, that's what's going to come out. However, if my heart is filled with wholesome things, good things, if I'm tenderhearted, if I'm compassionate, if I'm all those things, when I get bumped, that's what's going to spill out. Whatever is down in the well is going to come up in the bucket eventually. The tongue typically reveals the overflow from your heart. And so the words that we speak are a product of what fills the heart. And here's what Jesus had to say about your words. And it's really scary when you think about it. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. And the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified. and By your words you will be condemned. You are what you speak. Words are a revelation of who you are. When you open your mouth, you give a good look at your heart. Therefore, the tongue is a manifestation of the heart's condition. And Jesus says that our words are connected to judgment. They're the basis of it, which is scary because I don't know about you, but I have spoken enough careless words to fill the shelves of the Abilene Public Library. And my guess is I'm not the only one. Paul points out that there is a cost involved. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. An unfortunate consequence of unwholesome speech is that we grieve the person who lives within us. You can only grieve someone who is close to you, right? You can only grieve those who are closest to you. 
So I can, I can anger a coworker. I might can, you know, make an acquaintance mad, but I can only really grieve someone that I'm closest to. And who's closer to us than the Holy Spirit? As Christians, and we receive that gift at baptism, and the Holy Spirit dwells within us. I'm grieving the very person who lives within me. Paul's recurring theme over and over again is unity. How much does it disrupt unity when I grieve the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit dwells us, what does that say when we speak unwholesome words, when our speech is not pure? And that is why this letter here to the Ephesians is really a letter to Oldham Lane, isn't it? It transcends time. Paul's words are just as relevant to us today as they were centuries ago. May we never grieve the Holy Spirit who is alive and well within the members of this body. May we never tolerate or encourage a thoughtless attitude in the way that we speak about one another. Because every time I carelessly speak, I hurt at least three people. I hurt the person I'm speaking carelessly about. I hurt myself. And I grieve the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says, get rid of it. Get rid of all bitterness and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander, along with all malice. It has no place in the church. No trash talking here. It doesn't belong. It has no place in the life of a Christian. It has no place in the heart of a spirit-led individual. Let God be in your gums. Let the Lord be in your lips. Let the Spirit be over your speech. And don't just focus on the putting away. As Paul says, no trash talking. He also says that we are to replace that trash talking with something else. Being tender-hearted, kind, forgiving. But then notice what else he says. Over into chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, he says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So Paul says, therefore, which means for this reason. In other words, Everything I've just said is for this reason. Quit the malignant talk and imitate God by walking in love. Someone died for you. Someone died for this church. Someone hung on a cross for you and all the people who are here. And you have the audacity to speak ill of God's blood-bought people. Who would do such a thing? Remember what God said to Moses? When Moses wasn't all that keen on the idea of leading God's people out of Egyptian slavery, what did, God, or what did Moses say? He basically said, I, I, I'm not eloquent in speech. I'm not a good talker. And what does God say? He says, who made your mouth? Something good for us to remember as well. Who made your mouth? Don't use it in a way that's ungodly. So there were two frogs, they were hopping along, and they fall into a ditch. This ditch is very deep. And it seems impossible that they're going to get out of it. But they do what frogs do. They jump. And they jump. And they jump. And yet it's just too deep. They can't get out of the ditch. Two of their frog buddies come by and they look down and they see their peril. And they feel bad for them, but there's nothing they can do. So the two frogs that are on the bank look down into the ditch and they say, Hey guys, we're sorry you fell into the ditch. We love you. You know, we're praying for you, but just die easy. Just go easy. 
Don't wear yourself out trying to get out. It's never going to happen. Just give up the ghost. And one of the frogs did. He just quit. Why try? He died right there. But one of the other frogs wasn't going to give up. He kept jumping, and he kept jumping, and he kept jumping. And the frogs on the bank were saying, look, you, you got to stop. You're going to wear yourself out. Quit trying so hard and just let it go. But eventually that frog did the impossible. He jumped out of the ditch and landed on the bank, much to the surprise of his two buddies that were up there. They look at their friend and they say, how did you do it? And the frog says, I'm deaf. He, he said, I, I'm reading your lips right now, and I, I thought you were encouraging me. I saw y'all flailing your arms and everything. I thought you were telling me to keep jumping, so I did. There's power, not just in our words, but in our body language as well, right? We can lift up or we can tear down. We can give life, encourage life, or we can encourage death. But look at Proverbs 18, starting in, in verse 21. I love the book of Proverbs, by the way, because it is both, it is both an exposition on life and a drugstore, isn't it? You ever notice that? There's wisdom and then there's remedy. And Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Your words have the power to build up your brothers and sisters in Christ, and your words have the power to destroy your brothers and sisters in Christ. So choose life. If you have a need this morning that we can help you with, maybe, uh, maybe you've been searching God's word and you realize that you need to do something different with your life. You need to change the course of your life, and we'd love to help you with that. We'd love to study the Bible with you. Or maybe you've been studying the Bible, and maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism and begin a daily walk with God. Certainly, certainly we want to help you with that. Maybe you need the prayers of this church family. I want you to know this family loves you and supports you. We won't be like those two frogs on the bank telling you just give up. We want you to make it to heaven. So if you have a need this morning that we can help you with, Luke's going to lead us in a song. We invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.